think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Cotton Club crew. I'm your host, Macon. I'm joined with Joe. And this is actually going to be a two-part episode, but we're going to split it in half. So at the halfway point, I'll kind of segue into a different topic, and that'll be a second episode. So you'll get this to tonight as of we're recording is the fifth. You'll probably get the next one on the seventh. Um, the first part of this episode is going to be to cleaning up kind of the the season and review. We'll start with our last outing tech getting hammered by Texas and Austin. Talk about some of the transfers and some of the uh, guys getting added to the scholarship, which just happened as of like an hour ago. So that'll be pretty cool to see some of that going on. And we'll talk about the season overall, the, the, the highs, the lows a little bit. And then for this back half of the episode, we'll be talking about the matchup with Cal a bit in the bowl, as well as our overall impressions from bowl season and the Big 12's bowl slate. Um, Just kind of, you know, fill it in on where we stand on some of the issues of the postseason hoopla that has occurred and, you know, just trying to kind of bring our football content steadily to a close. We will have probably one, maybe two more episodes to actually get us ready for bowl season. Tech place on the 16th. It's the first day of the major bowls. I think it is the first day of the bowl season in general. So, You know, you're, that is going to mean that we're not going to be uh, taking too much of a football break before we start recording again because we got to get rocking and rolling for next week. But without further ado, let's get into it. Let's start with where we left off the season, which was Tech's unfortunate finale in Austin. I was there. Um, it was cold. It was a a tough, tough thing to watch. Tech is hammered by Texas, 57-7. to I mean, it's just a bad game, and we're not going to spend a too much time on this because there's not a lot to even really dive into here. You just got thoroughly outplayed. Um, what was left of Tech's roster at this point was just not capable of sitting with Texas, and they weren't prepared. It happens. Um, so let's get right into it, Joe. Let's start with your impressions from watching this game. What was like your immediate thought watching this play out? The immediate thought on the entire game itself, and then once the ball kicked off, I mean, even maybe the first two drives, um, just an an unmotivated team. I wasn't there, so I can't speak on exactly what was going on on the sidelines like I normally do for home games. 
but it really seemed like this team just wasn't ready to play. They weren't ready. They laced them up, but they just weren't ready to come out and play football. And not not trying to take anything away from Texas because the better team won that game. I mean, I believe if Tech on its best night probably hangs around and makes things interesting, but I don't think they win that game um, nine times out of ten. So it was just a, a very unmotivated team there, whether that was on coaching staff, the players, the time. Like, I mean, a lot of different things are contributing factors into that, but they just didn't look like they were ready to play. They were outmatched. That defensive front of Texas is as legit as they come. Sweat arguably could have been in the Heisman Trophy conversation if you personally ask my honest opinion because he's just that much of a a, a wrecker up front. So it's just it was really tough to end the season that way. You had a winning streak going on there. You. You were already bowl eligible, so you could have, you might have been just be playing with house money because hey, we're still bowling after this after this game. But it was really, it was really, it hurt to watch that. I mean, there was times there where I just wanted to turn it off and figure something else to do with my time. And it, like I said, it was just a tough one to watch on on so many different levels, just getting outplayed in every aspect of the game. You just didn't, I mean, I don't know who you want to blame. If you want to blame Coach McGuire, if you want to blame just lack of execution. I mean, there you, you can kind of blame everybody, right? Like this, the, the staff didn't get the team ready and the guys didn't go out there and play well. That that Both of those things are true. But I always hold the staff more accountable when games like this happen because it is it speaks to a lack of preparation that results in a blowout of this nature. Texas didn't blow out everybody they played. In fact, until these last two weeks, Texas was largely ineffective in a lot of Big 12 games at putting people away. They, they needed a lot of heroics. They had a lot of late collapses. They needed a lot of help. And they were in trouble in several Big 12 games. And I'm not saying you deserve to beat Texas on any given night. They likely beat you nine times out of ten this year. But in all nine of those outcomes, if you show up ready to play football, you don't lose by 50. You know, like that, that, that they're... There's a reason why Wyoming was more effective against Texas than you were, and that was preparation. You just showed up unprepared. You know, Texas had escaped Iowa State, escaped TCU, escaped Kansas State. So, like, are you really telling me that you think those teams are just substantially better than Tech and, like, substantially better equipped to deal with Texas's roster? No, fuck no, they're not. I mean, look, like, you were banged up, and this was always going to – without Hutchings in the middle, your defense was always going to struggle. Right. Without without uh, with your back end banged up, Taylor Temerson, I think, played in this game, but was coming off injury. Tyler Owens coming off injury. You didn't have Miles Price. Uh, I don't think. Look, I watched this game and got the sense that Baron Morton was very not healthy, um, which then speaks to like the total lack of game planning by Kitley. Point being, you were always up against it in this game, but the, the staff failed you. The staff embarrassed this program. And, you know, I'm, I'm big on Joey McGuire, but this was a joke. And it, it, it it's unacceptable to have that happen in year two when you're supposed to have your culture, your program kind of rolling forward. I didn't necessarily think you had to win this game to, to like, satisfy the season. But you had to show up and you fucking did it. So it, it was embarrassing and McGuire should be held accountable for it, as should 
Kitley, Asha, DeRuiter. None of them looked ready. I mean, the defense stayed in the game as long as they possibly could, but the, they were getting blown off the ball anyways. I mean, I, I don't know what our, what happened without Hutchings. I knew it was going to be more challenging, but every single defensive lineman and the linebackers were 10 yards off the ball anytime Texas ran the ball. So, like, I, I don't know what was going on from any number of perspectives in this game, but the reality is, is that you got clowned, and it was a shitty way to end the rivalry was just to show up with, I mean, they played scared, and that's on the staff. They played scared. The staff never let it loose. It Like, Texas was running trick plays and bull crap at you, and Tech was playing timid pussyfoot football, and that's not going to beat a better team, you know, because Texas is the better team this year. There is a reason why they beat everybody but OU, because they outplayed everybody but OU in most of these games. But, the, you know, they were not 50 points better than you if you had showed up well coached. And you weren't. You got let down. The staff let down the fan base. And if it wasn't for the fact this was the last game of the year and then all the noise of the college football playoff and yada, 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 everybody would be a lot angrier about it. But this this is as unacceptable as what happened to Matt Wells when he got clowned in Austin. It's the same fucking crap. And I thought we were past it. And it is legitimately very upsetting to realize that you know, not only was the season an abject failure, that is the only way to describe it. It was a total failure. You couldn't even be fucking damned to be prepared for your biggest rival. And the last time you're ever going to play them, you are never going to play Texas again in football. The, the administration, Austin, is not going to allow it to happen. You will never play them again. This was your last shot at them. And you you fucked it. So like I, I it it's a joke and uh, it's it sours an entire season that was already bad. This was a bad year. And we're, I'm gonna go to you with this point next, Joe, um, to kind of weigh in here. I mean, is there any other way to describe a six and six season when you were a dark horse favorite to win the conference as a bad year? What, what what's the silver lining here? What can we glean? Is am, am I being too harsh or is this just reality is tech failed this season with all the hype surrounding this football team going into this season and that's just coming from the guys here in lubbock not talking about media people as dark horses other other you know people out there you know giving tech its roses and things like that you know we all kind of bought into the kool-aid early this team beats last year's team by 10 points. This team was loaded on the defensive front. We're loaded. Our, we have a good secondary coming back. We have all these transfers coming into our offensive line. Tyler Shuck is returning. A lot. All these pieces were returning. I think it was, but 20 starters, offense and defensively, that was returning this year, which, you know, historically, that's good if you're returning that much from that kind of caliber football team, it's easy to set those expectations high. So for me, I, I don't consider it a total bust. There is some silver linings in that, which I'll get to in a second, but it was, it was a big letdown. It was a very, very big letdown. Like I said, given off of all the hype around this, around this football team, around the Lubbock area and what the coaching staff was, you know, saying in public and on radio and newspapers, everything, you know, we all bought in. And guess what? We fell flat on our face. It came kind of came early. Um, first off with like some play calling issues, not running the ball, quarterback getting hurt, you know, the list goes on and on and on, you know. So 
the the silver lining in this is like just say for example the Ben Roberts you know Jacob Rodriguez doesn't go down we don't see Ben Roberts and I don't necessarily know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but guess what we have Ben Roberts for three more years so I I think there's some silver lining to all of this with all the youth that we're actually getting on the field and meaningful playing time this year to help propel this team moving forward with the incoming class that we're about to have starting to sign here in the next um, two weeks or so. I believe it's on the 20th. So the silver linings there, we have a bunch of freshmen that got a lot of playing time that we're going to see a whole lot of freshmen against Cal in the Independence Bowl. And we'll touch on that here in a minute based on all these different transfers that we had. So I do see the tide slowly turning in the right direction, or at least to where the ship is heading in the right direction. But this is going to be year three of the brand, Joey McGuire. This is going to be a core of all his guys that he recruited, his staff recruited. So, and we'll, like I said, we'll touch base on that later on whenever that time comes around. But if you're asking me right now, is it a total failure? I wouldn't say it's a total failure. I think it's a major letdown with some silver lining. You know, I, I, I talk a lot about what it takes to rebuild a program, like what, what gets you to 10 wins and how important it is to start with like eight wins and then build from there. And there is something to be said, like one of the steps along this path is consistently making a bowl game, right? Like getting... getting Getting to the point where your program is always in the postseason, always in the postseason, is a big deal. Not everybody is there. There are plenty of teams that miss bowl season like every other year. And for the past uh, 15 years, Tech has been one of them that has missed bowl season fairly regularly. And this is now the this is a true bowl streak now. You have three in a row, back to back for the first time in a while um, under under a new head coach. It it it's. Not like that isn't something to be kind of proud of, but the reality is is that I don't know if you can describe a season with this much hype as a success or even close to it when you missed on every objective. And the, the, there are certain moments that would have changed everything for this program. Um, and they it started early, right? Like the, the disaster in Laramie. They, look, Wyoming was a good little football team. That's a tough program. But there's no excuse for that loss. There was no excuse for it. Now there's no excuse for it then. And then you follow it up where you let's, let's be clear here. You could have done everybody a big fucking favor if you had beaten Oregon in week one, right? Like I think I think for everybody's kind of well-being, I think it would have been better to have kind of beaten Oregon. It would have it would have cleaned up the college football playoff picture a little bit more. Now, granted, Washington takes care of business. That's settled it in the end. But you don't even have the discussion of Tech had beaten Oregon. Towards. So... You know, it, it's tough to say that you, you failed when you made, I think, the first of like a series of steps, which is just being bowl eligible every year. But this isn't the expectation. This should just be the norm. 
And the fact that you had to even get back here is tough a pill to swallow. But the fact that you couldn't get beyond that and in year two with all the talent that was on the roster. Because that's the thing. I, I truly believe, well, the receiving core did not take a step forward. And the offensive lineman was a bit of a letdown. I mean, how many games could you have won just managing the game better? I mean, you would have beaten Wyoming if Kitley got the fuck out of the way. You would have beaten Oregon if Kitley got the fuck out of the way. So, like, it, it, it from the, the start of this year, you kind West of – Virginia as well. West Virginia, another big one. I mean, I, I, that final sequence against West Virginia, now, hell of a drive to get down there. I can't say for certain what would have happened in overtime, but the fact that you had it easily in the bag if you had handed the ball off to Taj Brooks at least once, probably twice, would have gotten it done with the timeout situation there at the end and, like, didn't. I mean, like, that. that's three games. You're a 6-16. Six and 16. The difference between finishing 9-3 and three and 6-16 six and six was coaching and that's unacceptable and we like with the brand and the culture and 60 minutes all this bullshit that we talk about all offseason all this year to to lose multiple games because of just poor coaching or big dumb decision making in critical moments poor execution in critical moments it's just unacceptable and here here is the dirty little truth guys if this happens again next year joe mcguire's ass is fired like i I, you guys have to we all have to wrap our minds around it this is not the same landscape as it was five years ago. You get three. You get three chances, and then you're done because that's how football works now. You have to be able to flip your roster and be competitive in three years because if you can't do it in three, you ain't going to do it in six. You know, this isn't, this isn't you know, what the situation in college football where Cliff or Matt Wells was here. You know, the program has to move forward. If you are not improving next year, you will not only be firing McGuire, you'll be doing it and feel justified about it. So I think McGuire's the guy, but this season set a lot of alarm bells off. You know, the crap of Kitley. That's that's unacceptable. How many times the head coach needs to step in and intervene and and, and fix a problem that didn't happen. And and the 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 fourth down stuff, like we were it just seemed like he was making some of these fourth down decisions to say he was being aggressive without paying attention to when and where he should be doing them. So it just, there's a lot of stuff in this season that are bad. If you're looking for the silver lining, the silver lining of it all is you were a couple of plays away from winning eight games. You were a few more plays against from possibly winning nine or ten, right? You, you Very few games this season really got away from you other than like the BYU game and the Kansas State game. I mean, even Kansas State was close to you, lost Morton. But BYU, with Jake Strong at quarterback, there was no chance you could win that game. So, like, there, the, the, just that there were probably three games this year, really, where you really felt like you just didn't, you know, show up. So the silver lining is just if you had been able to do the little things right, you could have been extremely successful this season. And that that's both heartening a bit, but also very, very frustrating because you you got to start digging into like, well, okay, why didn't that happen for you? And look, there's always regression towards the mean. You know, like last year you won a lot of close games that you probably shouldn't have won, which helped kind of sell this year as a, as, a, as a step forward year. But the regression this year was was more along the lines of, of you just didn't seem to want it as bad. I, I don't even know how that happens when you're a program that's best accomplishment to date was like narrowly missing out of the top 25. So it just felt it just felt like a weird, bad, poorly coached, poorly executed year. And that can't happen in year three, because I, I do believe that in modern football, if you cannot turn a program in three years, you're not going to get a fourth because that's just where we are. It's too easy to turn your roster over now. 
So, look, the, the silver lining of it all is, you know, there's a lot of young talent coming in, yada, yada. You were close to a couple of games, yada, yada. But the, I, I think it's it behooves us all to acknowledge that this season was bad. And it's a bit frustrating, but that's how it goes. I mean, that's just tough shit, you know? We all wanted better, and it didn't happen. And as much as it sounds like sour grapes to say, like, you could have gotten a few more done and it could have looked a bit better, it didn't happen. So it, it it's it's tough. It's tough on the program. You you took one tiny baby step getting to bowl season, and next year you better be ready to take another one because you're not going to – we can't keep waiting around for a rebuild. The Big 12 power vacuum will not stay open for long. Um, you know, Texas is exiting. Oklahoma is exiting. Texas is this is the first year in years they've been the top of the conference. But they're taking like the big recruiting clout with them. OU's taking their big recruiting clout with them. And what I mean by that is that those two those two teams have sucked all the oxygen out of the rest of the conference from a recruiting perspective. And now the talent is dead even. You know, Utah ain't going to come in here and dominate from a recruiting perspective. Right, like Tech is recruiting at an extremely high level. You have got to take advantage of this power vacuum while it's still there because it will solidify. Right, there is nothing stopping Utah or Arizona or TCU or Baylor from locking in the top spot if you don't do it. Tech is the best positioned program to get it done. That is reality. You have the resources to do it. You have the facilities. You can do it. You just have to go take it because you will get. I mean, th- what will happen is what happened with Texas and OU. Everybody feels like they're outside looking in, staring up at the Sooners. And 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 everybody just racing against some sort of immovable object at the top of the recruiting rankings. It will not take long for this to get locked up. So, you know, you've got another year. Maybe I'm wrong. And if you have a bad year, McGuire gets fourth. But the time, the, the window of opportunity closes very quickly. Um, so the, the, it's tough to have a season like this, which would have allowed you to kind of lock up the, 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 the heir apparent spot and you kind of blew it. I mean, you just, you just really blew it and uh, you did it largely with self-inflicted bull crap. So it, it's tough. It's frustrating. You should be pissed. Everybody should be annoyed and hopefully they take it out on a cow, which we'll be talking about in the second part of this episode. Um, Joe, we're coming to the end of this first part of the episode, but I want to, let's, let's recap where the roster stands. Let's talk about the transfers. Um, a lot, a lot of guys out of the receiving core. Miles Price, Bradley being the most significant uh, transfers to date. You do not have a punter in 2024 now, which I think is kind of like kind of odd. McNamara leaves and then you transfer. I don't, I don't really get that, but you know, power to him. Um, but there is a new home for one of Texas Tech's most uh, uh, high-profile transfers. Tyler Shuck has committed to Louisville. I don't know Louisville's quarterback room well enough to say for certain he's just going to start, but I have to imagine he's going there to be the starter. Joe, let's talk about that for a second. What do you think about that move for Tyler Shuck? That's a great move. Um, It's a great move for him. To your point, I don't know a whole lot about Louisville. I haven't watched a whole lot of them play, um, to be completely honest. But, I mean, I don't think he'd be going there if he's not starting next year. Um, If you have a solidified offense line, solid running game, I could see it being big for him with that offensive coordinator that they have over there at Louisville. And as long as he's not running the ball and he cuts back on some of these mistakes that kind of had doomed him here whenever he was still upright, watching, uh, staring down certain receivers, having happy feet, being indecisive with his throws, and ultimately running the ball instead of, you know, doing a check down or hitting somebody else. I mean, I, those those problems, if they continue to follow him, I mean, he's going to have the same kind of results that he's had the last couple of years. 
doesn't mean he's not a good quarterback, but like I said, as long as he cleans some of those things up, a different, a different or a change of scenery with a new offensive coordinator, a new aspect, a new offense, things like that, those all could go go well for him. So more power to him. I have nothing to say about about nothing good things to say about Tyler. Um, he's met both of my children. He's taken pictures. He's as humble as the guys they come. And I wish him nothing but the best. So um, Louisville's an interesting choice. I believe Central Florida was front running for him for a while there, but it ultimately turned out that he's going to go to Louisville. And I hope he succeeds there in this last chapter of his col- or his collegiate football career. I, I think it's a good move. I mean, I, I mean no disrespect to UCF really because – the program under Gus Malzahn, I think, still has an extremely high ceiling um, that they haven't reached yet. Just because very fertile recruiting grounds, a lot of resources, a lot of student, uh, just a large student body that can, is, can really invest in the football program. So a little shocking. He didn't ultimately elect to stay in conference and play at a place I think he would have been virtually guaranteed to start. And again, I don't know Louisville's quarterback room. Maybe he is the heir apparent over, over there and it's cut dry but louisville's the kind of program that they're going to go get somebody bring them in and it's going to be a battle um but for shock i you can't really fault a guy for eyeing uh, a conference champion like louisville a conference runner-up but a guy a team that is playing for conference championships now like louisville uh you know i don't know their situation long term i can't say for certain whether Chuck's problems is, are well documented. his injuries have really derailed his development but maybe a reboot is exactly what he needed um, now we're going to talk a bit more about the transfers real quick, though, Joe. Let's 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 talk about what's been going on in the receiving room. I believe you're up to four people transferring out. Miles Price, Bradley being the highest profile. What do you think about the exodus out of the receiving room? Um, is, is it a cause for? Con- I don't think it's a huge cause of con- for concern. To be completely honest. I don't think a majority, I mean, Miles Price, I don't think we knew he, if he was going to be coming back regardless of the situation, just knowing the depth behind. I really, the Bradley one was more shocking than anything to me. But we have a lot of, we have a core group of guys that are coming in that are freshman guys that could really, really stretch a field. They're really good in the open field. They're crisp on route running. And then with the, with the arrival of Micah Hudson um, later on towards the end of this year, early January, whenever he's on campus. I mean, like I said, this, this room could potentially have a, I mean, it's going to be a youth on, on paper with Brady Boyd, Coy um, with Dre McCray and Jordan Brown and probably Loic may, may be your, your elders there with a, a mix of a bunch of young guys. I think that this room could take the step, the next step forward. I mean, obviously, if you're comparing it to this year, it's going to take a whole lot to be worse than this year and creating separation and having explosive plays and just having that alpha wide receiver that that we haven't had since Ezukama, to be completely honest. So we're just trying to get find that guy that could be our go-to. We'll see what happens in the near future with our wide receiver room, but I don't think it's a big cause of concern. Once again, these are guys that are leaving here that that McGuire's staff inherited. So these guys weren't guys that were brought on to to be with this team. They were just inherited from the previous coaching staff. So 
I mean, it's not a big surprise to me. Micah Hudson coming in changes a lot about what you're going to do in the receiving core in general because he is immediately going to be your best overall offensive weapon with Taj Brooks leaving, um, and that th- that means that you're gonna you're gonna have to build a. I don't want to say you build an offense around the guy because that's not how this really works, but you're gonna build a receiving core that is suited to his strengths like the guys who are going to play are going to be based around like what does micah do versus what can they do to take attention off of him he's got great length he's six feet tall i think he's at somewhere like the 190 range uh, but what really makes him kind of an elite player is he could play inside or outside he could stretch you vertically or be somebody who plays more as a slot guy get open the middle of the field kind of your every down receiver he's got the capability of doing both i don't know how the staff is ultimately going to want to use him Based on what we know about Kitley, I assume he's going to be put on the boundary, which means you need to get another deep threat in to take pressure off Micah, right? Like what's made Xavier Worthy so dangerous this year, I think, as opposed to years past at Texas is the fact that Texas now has a a complete receiving core. You cannot just put brackets around Worthy and limit his usability and try to make somebody else beat you because guys like Adonai Mitchell or Whitting and Arval come together as well as their tight ends to really make a lot of holes in a defense, which opens everything up. So, you know, I, I think you're, you're, you're talking about miles price and Bradley leaving. It's tough, but Bradley never panned out. I mean, he just quit on routes consistently. And he was the kind of guy, like he just wasn't capable of stretching defenses vertically. And I, I don't know if part of that was around the quarterback play. Part of that's route running. Part of it's just effort, but you know, he was a boomer bust receiver. And, I think Miles Price is a tougher loss um, because I think he would have been a good compliment to Micah in the middle. A group that definitely needs a total reset. So I, I can't, you know, cry over over the situation when we all agree the group didn't perform well. And it's hard to be like, well, you know, Price played well at moments and Bradley played well at moments. Tough to lose those guys. When I, I mean, they just. The group sucked. I mean, let's just let's speak frankly. The receiving core sucked this year. They were bad. They they hurt you in games repeatedly. And some of that scheme, and that's another reason why, like, I, I think this isn't the end of the world. Because if Kitley's going to do what Kitley's going to do, you got to go find guys in the porter who are going to fit that. Because clearly the, the guys we had on campus did not. And, you know, I, I thought it was bizarre that Nehemiah Martinez didn't get more reps. He seemed like a guy that could really work. But, you know, again, he's a guy who's going to play in the middle of the field. Same with Xavier White. Same really Miles Price. And you just didn't have any interest attacking the middle of the field. So you got to go get some more size on the perimeter. You got to get some more length. Um, you got to get some guys who could block, frankly. I mean, like, if we're going to run a million fucking screens a game, having anybody who can block is critical. So, you know, it, it, it's a group that needs to be reset. It's hard to get too upset about it. It just sucks a bit because I think. I think in particular Price and Bradley could have had better futures if the system had been reworked a bit to their capabilities, but they were bad. Like the groups, the group didn't perform. So, okay, let's reset it and try try again next year with new talent coming in. Yeah. Another thing about that also is that some of these wide receivers that we have coming in are, are fairly big guys and that's on every level. TJ West, Kelby Valson, I believe and DJ Crest, all those guys sit somewhere between six, six one and six three respectively and they all have some size to them as far as body goes so these are those guys that you have that could potentially be blockers down the field 
um, selfless players. They all kind of got wheels. They all have something special about them. I believe DJ Crest and um, TJ West will vie for probably two of the fastest dudes on this team moving forward um, on the on our wide receiving cores there. But I do expect a lot of those guys, they actually may see some playing time in Shreveport, to be completely honest, based off of what we're losing on our wide receivers currently. So just those are names to look out for in the Independence Bowl and then moving forward as far as the um, overhaul in our wide receiver room. It just, you know, I think that there's still plenty of talent to go get. And, you know, every day if you see, I, I see big names jump into the portal. So I, I, I don't think that you're going to be short-staffed in the receiving core. Um, and when you got a guy like Micah Hudson coming in in general, you're going to have a star in your, in your group. So it's just building the right pieces to do what Kitley wants to do. And the size is important, right? Like, well, and. Antoine Wesley was one of the most successful receivers at Tech that didn't get a lot of attention because what he did best, besides the fact he was a very talented receiver, but he blocked. He blocked so well, and so did as a comma, for that matter. And as a result, you could do a lot of screens to the boundaries with those guys around because they were willing to block and open things up. This year, you had a bunch of no-blocking SOBs out there. I mean, I, I've never seen a receiving group less interested in, in executing those screens. So like I said, like if we're going to do this stuff, if we're going to have these, these kind of schematic quirks, then we got to go get receivers who fit the bill. And I think building this receiving group... <coughs> It's critical to what you're going to do next season. So it's hard to, to believe that not injecting a bunch of new life in there isn't for the best for everyone. And that's the thing. Price and Bradley very well may succeed at a high level at their next stop. I think it's best for everybody to reset the deck a bit in that group. Um, we're going to close out our show here in a minute. But, Joe, what, let's talk about the names that just got added to scholarship as of a couple hours ago. Really cool video put out by the program. Um, Gina Garcia being one, Jordan Brown being the other. You know, let's talk a bit about those guys and what it means to see them get their scholarships. It's massive, um, very massive for this program moving forward. Jordan Brown, local kid, you know, he plays well. He goes out there. He's he does when he's called upon. You know, he made the plays when the plays were out there. He's a team player. He's all that. He's a he's one of these culture guys that you want to have and build a program around. And to see him put on scholarship was well-deserved it should have happened last year but i believe you know obviously for said reasons some scholarships had to be given to other players but with the uh, matador club out there i'm sure that helped you know suffice some of that financial burden that was on him but it was really good to see him be put on scholarship and then gino garcia earned that scholarship i thought i told you pre-show that i believed that he was already on scholarship at the start of the year but he wasn't and I know that he had a rough go there at the start in Wyoming. He got a lot of flack and it's like, oh, shit, we're about to have this this whole kicking conundrum moving forward. But, I mean, he solidified that position. He made some big-time kicks for us, some long field goals. And that is another one of those, those scholarships that's well-deserved and can't wait to see him here next year, you know, kicking footballs for us. You know, you don't have a punter, so it, it feels good to have one specialist on the roster that you can really count on. I was really impressed by both these guys, though, Gino and Jordan Brown. Um, it, it You know, it's it's a tough situation to ask guys to play substantial minutes 
in any sport and not have them on scholarship. It happens in basketball too on occasion and it happens in, in baseball and it happens in, you know, insert sport here where somebody you weren't really expecting really makes a name for yourself. I think at Gino Garcia's case in particular, it was a little odd that this just now is getting done. And like you said, there could be any number of NIL reasons for this, any number of organizational reasons for this. It, it is a little odd to, 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 to know that the guy that you kind of knew was going to be your starting place kicker didn't have a scholarship just a little odd, but Jordan Brown is a guy that just really played hard as well. And, you know, I, I, I think that what I like to say about any walk on out there who earns their, um, who are, or earns their, their, their spot and kind of gets that roster, uh, that roster slot is it's not easy. And, you know, I know people who've gone through walk on programs at, a couple of major schools and, you know, they always talk about it being fun to be part of the team, but it is a tremendous amount of work on top of the fact that you are paying for school. So, you know, it, it, I, I, the NIL of it all, the Matador club and how that's organized now is kind of taking some of the sting out of that, but it's still not easy to know that like, especially for Gino Garcia, a guy who was critical to a lot of efforts this year that, you know, you're going to go out there and bust your ass, but you're not on scholarship and that guy next to you or that guy on the bench who isn't playing as much as you or et cetera, et cetera, is on scholarship. That That's a tough mental burden. So it speaks a lot to the character of these young men to be able to go do that, earn their spot. Um, you know, I, I want to say one thing in, in, that I will say in McGuire's defense of all the, the stuff, especially Gina Garcia, the Washington kicker got his scholarship at the end of their season, and it felt a lot like if he had missed that kick that they would not have given it to him. So I, I will say that at least it doesn't feel like Gina Garcia's like kick success ratio was not tied to his ability to get a scholarship because that was a Washington meant that to be really feel good, but that felt a little odd to me when the timing of that video came out. So, you know, all, all things considered, it it's great for the program to have these guys in there. It's great for both these young men to get on scholarship. It's great to see how excited their team gets to see them be rewarded for their hard work. And it, it what was a tough year got a little bit of a, of a nice ended note until the bowl game. Um, hope, we end strong there as well so you know that that kind of sums up where we stand right now as a program and we'll, we'll probably have more episodes down the line talking in more detail about the football program especially once we get to the long offseason haul after baseball season ends so i i, I don't want to reminisce too much about what went wrong and what was a tough year especially with the bowl game deciding whether or not we end on a positive or a negative note. But for now, we're going to close out this part of our episode here. And when you hear from us again, we're going to be talking about bowl season. We're going to be talking about the Cal Bears. We're going to be talking about what it means to be in a bowl game overall and kind of our, our thoughts on the bowl season picture, including some of the controversy in the playoffs.